Good morning, Arizona homeowners. Welcome to Rosie on the House, your Saturday morning tradition for 29 years. And as we walk around here, come on around back. It's 8 o'clock. We open the broadcast to the entire state. If you have a question about uh, your house, home, castle, or cabin in particular, the outdoor hour, the 8 o'clock hour, uh, we have an 800 number that uh, is not working today. I was joking. We had a big event Thursday night. And to take last-minute calls and make sure people were finding it correctly, we forwarded our 800 number to a cell phone, uh, Susan's cell phone, our, our Tucson development partner development manager, so she could answer questions and direct people in to the event. Uh, I jokingly said, I'll pay you 20 bucks not to forward it, just teasing Susan that she was going to have to answer the calls all weekend on her phone. Well, they took it literally. So our 800 number is still going to Susan's. <laughs> so you have to call the local 602-277. <laughs> She's probably thrown that out and buried in the backyard. <laughs> 602-277-5827. That's 277-KTAR. Will be the number four today. We'll get that fixed for next week, but it's... Also, you can email if you have a picture or you need some help with plant or insect identification. Email it to info at rosyonthehouse.com. Or you can text questions during the broadcast to 411-923. And we've got a full studio in today, Mr. Jay Harper of the Farm Choice. Let's start us off. Where are we going in the garden today? Well, a lot of people are probably out looking for Christmas trees. Buying Mm -hmm. Christmas trees, cutting Christmas trees, bringing things like poinsettias home. All those home decor Christmas plants uh, that uh, that we like to do our in our houses. So, you know, a couple of tips, um, you know, on the Christmas tree thing, and you know, potted a potted living Christmas tree is a viable option if you, especially if you have a new home uh, and you are going to need a tree anyway. You, know, you might want to consider buying a, a potted live tree that you can then plant in your landscape at a later date. Um, just make sure it's, you know, if, it, if you live in Phoenix or Tucson, you buy one that will grow in Phoenix or Tucson. Um, if you're going to buy a cut tree, um, you know, make sure it's fresh. Obviously, it's, you know, it's common sense. But if you're going to a lot that the trees are out in full sun and they're not in water and uh, they're going to dry out a lot quicker. So try and find trees that are perhaps shaded. Uh, the tree lot has put a big tent up or they're in the shade. Make sure they're kept in water the whole time. Make sure the needles aren't just dropping off. It, it, the thing with a cut tree is it's not going to get any better from the time you leave with it. It's just going to get worse. <laughs> so make sure it's pretty good before you leave with it so that it continues to stay good. And obviously when you get it home, don't put it by the fireplace. Don't put it where the heater blows on it. You know, those, those types of things. Uh, same way with poinsettias. If you buy a potted poinsettia, don't put it in a drafty place. Don't put it by the fire. They like... They're tropical. They like continuous, you know, 80-degree weather if they can get it. So keep it out of the cold or the heat drafty situations. So, you know, that's that's the big things. And, of course, you know, if you're like the small houses, they're going to go cut a tree, their own that's tree. That's exactly where I was then, going with then that. And, you know, those will stay forever. You don't really have. But, well, I have a tip there. Make sure you t- – I've done – because I speak from personal experience. Take a tape measure. Because they look a lot small. You, you cut one, then you get it home and go, oh, crap. That ain't going to fit. That's happened at least a dozen times. There you go. That's so. a pretty common thing, isn't it? Yeah. It is the first Saturday of the month, and going forward into 2018, we are going to have Julie with the Arizona Farm Bureau back. Welcome. 
Good good morning, Romy. Good to have you back in studio. Thank you. We have a lot of small houses on Rosie on the House today. We I'm do. So Introduce excited. your guests, and then we're going to have Alex talk about his uh, how he identifies the right tree to cut down. Or, awesome. Or does he leave it up to the kids, and it's Dad's responsibility to drag it to the truck? <laughs> Stephanie and Andy Smallhouse, Southern Arizona Ranchers. Stephanie is our new president for Arizona Farm Bureau. Congratulations. Thank you very much. We're quite excited to have them here, and they're a family that, if the kids ranch, it'll be a sixth-generation farm. This is their 133rd year, and Stephanie, we're so excited to have you as our president for Arizona Farm Bureau. Well, I'm pretty excited about it. Um, Great organization. Um, We have over 23,000 members in the state of Arizona. Um, We do our best to be the voice for agriculture in general around the state. We participate in national agricultural policy. And fortunately, in Arizona, we're such a diverse agricultural state, which means we have members growing everything from pecans and wine grapes to corn to nursery products to beef like ourselves. Um, We have a cactus nursery. Um, So melons, leafy greens, anything you can imagine, we almost we grow in Arizona. Where is y'all's farm? Southern Arizona is still pretty big. It is. <laughs> our, uh, our, our ranch is along the San Pedro River, the lower San Pedro River, just north and east of Tucson on the other side of the Catalina Mountains. Very nice. And that river flows north. It does. It, it, when it flows, it flows north. <laughs> There's not much flowing except in the monsoons. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful valley. Very nice. So north and you said which direction from the Catalinas? We are on the east side, on the east side of the Catalinas, yep. So, if I remember right from my history, and Rosie may correct me on this, he's joining us live from Prescott. They're up there for the first Saturday in December. It's always the annual uh, Christmas parade and courthouse lighting right there uh, on the square at Prescott. If I remember, the first signs uh, of agriculture that any archaeology has found is on the San Pedro River, and that used to be the travel path for travelers from Mexico into Arizona and the the the, it dates back like 4,000 years that they can tie farming back to the San Pedro River that's that's absolutely true I don't know for sure I'm on the numbers but um but there are several established archaeological sites along the San Pedro and the Center for Desert Archaeology which is a firm down in Tucson spends quite a bit of time excavating and studying that area and that's one of the things that that we've always said is that agriculture certainly isn't new to Arizona um it's goes back you know thousands of years so and y'all drove up from Tucson and you're on your way where Alex Andy Andy sorry (laughs) no that's right to Payson uh yeah, we're. Oh, can you hear me? Yeah, there you go. Uh, we're we're going. We're headed to Payson. To, we started this crazy tradition. We drive across the state every year to cut a, a tree, and uh, it's sort of a family tradition. And get the kids together, and we uh, they. It's a lot of fun. We. Now you have to have a permit. You yeah. can't just go. Yeah, you can't just go cut one. Chopping. You got to get a permit ahead of time, and it's about what is it, fifteen dollars? Yeah, it's to, about fifteen dollars one per household, I believe. Yeah. And where do you go in Payson? Is there a designated area that they go to cut? Do you well, have certain? We can't guidance? tell anyone. <laughs> <laughs> no. 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 There's it's only a like, secret spot. There's only like <laughs> ten left, so we're just. No. 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 Yeah, it's a designated. They the depending on which forest you're in, they t- give you a map and tell you where you're allowed to cut. And you have certain specifications on what type of tree you can cut down, the size, and kind of yeah. help the 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 forest growth management. So that would be a wonder. I've seen headlines. I haven't read into it at all that there's like a shortage on Christmas trees that a lot of them in 08 when the recession hit, 
the, a lot of Christmas tree farmers in Carolina and Washington went out of business. And so now it's starting to hit the market because they haven't had that uh, that growth period of time. Uh, you get a $15 actually, permit and drive up to Payson. You don't have to worry <laughs> yeah. about it. Yeah. And you help thin the forest. Yeah. yeah. I, I've actually heard that, too. Um my husband's family has actually been in the Christmas tree business for a long time up in Oregon, and so they've actually had a farm for a while. But, uh, but yeah, I think I have heard that there's a shortage because it's, you know, agriculture, people think you can jump in and out of it, but you really can't. You, you get into it, you stay for as long as you can, and when you get out of it, you generally can't get back in. How many permits are available? Because there's obviously a limited number. There's six million people in Arizona. They don't have six million permits to go chop down a, a tree. It's limited. I couldn't tell you the, the number because I'm not an expert on that, but I know that if you wait too long, they cut it off. So, And each district office has a certain number. So I think there's three district offices in Phoenix, one in Payson, for the Payson, for the Tano. Mm-hmm. So you would go to what resource, what website to look up your... Forest Service, U.S. Forest okay. Service, go to what, and whichever forest you're, um, you're near. So if you wanted to go into the Coconino, then you'd probably go somewhere near Flagstaff. If you're going to Tonto, then you'd go to Payson or here in phoenix so i'm talking about it as if i'm an expert and i'm really not <laughs> but it's a tradition it's it's more of an expert than probably most yeah. of the people listening <laughs> Gen- generally how it goes is we leave at the break of dawn we pack a lunch we drive up there by the time we get to the spot you know because christmas tree hunting when you live in the desert is just a very strange thing and so when you get to the spot um we find a tree we like and then my husband says no 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 there's many more trees so we spend three more hours looking <laughs> and the tree we get every uh, single time is the first one that we saw so is that true yeah <laughs> makes me think of christmas vacation yeah. the movie yeah yeah, yeah that's our favorite movie too <laughs> i love we that come one. home and watch that movie every year. So when you get home, are you so exhausted from the day that the, then Sunday's the decorating, or do you still get that done on Saturday? Well, like John mentioned, um, the first when we get home, it's usually dark and it's too late. But the next day, then my husband starts cutting branches and sticking them in different places and cutting the top <laughs> off because it's way bigger than, than what we planned. Hey, well, go big or go home. Right. right? <laughs> You're going down to chop one out. you got to have something to show for it when That's you right. get now, what do you do with the tree when it's done? Do you mulch it? Do you burn it? Do you have a big bonfire? We, Gener- Go ahead. Oh, we usually use it for kindling and burning in our fireplace. We have a fireplace there, or several fireplaces that we use to heat our house. So it just turns into natural natural heat. Yep. <laughs> Excellent. It's 602-277-5827. Our, my fault. I did not get our 800 number reforded this uh, week after a little annual holiday party we had Thursday night. So dial the local number, 602-277-5827, if you'd like to join the conversation. We're joined with Jay Harper of the Farm's Choice, along with Julie Murphy of the Arizona Farm Bureau, and the Small House, a 130-year ranching tradition here in Arizona, and the new president of the Farm Bureau. You you, you finally... Uh, I won't say we turned Kevin out to pasture, <laughs> but we finally gave him a break. He was there 14 years as he, the president. He was and did an excellent job, um, put a lot of time into that for quite a while. And so um, time for a transition. And so I was um, been a, I was lucky enough basically to, to try to fill his shoes. So Well, congratulations. We'll be back with Rosie on the House. Now, Julie, I've been waiting to have you on 
I hear there's an update. We've always touted the agricultural industry to be a $17 billion industry in Arizona, and I understand a new report contradicts that a little bit. It actually, or maybe updates it. It updates it and enhances it. Thanks to the thanks to the University of Arizona, we are now at twenty three point three billion, not million, but billion dollar industry. That's what we contribute to this Arizona economy, and we're a prime uh, sector, primary sector. That means we can't have an economy without forestry, agriculture, mining, and fishing. So everything that we do is a result of the agriculture investment that we put into the state. So we need to continue to celebrate these families that, like the small houses that have lived and worked the same land for 133 years. It's an exciting story, and you can tell I get very passionate about it when we get to visit. So it's a, it's a, a neat story, an important story, and now we're at $23 billion up. So if, you make, if I do the math right, that's $6 billion more than it was previously. And U of A does a st- study about every three or four years. So this is not uncommon to show a reflection in the number changes. And the small houses, y'all brought your children in. You've got John and Hannah, who are sitting in the news producer. If I understand right, they'll be the sixth generation? Y- are y'all going to take over the family ranch? <laughs> I don't think the, they know they're no, on. I'm not sure yet. I, can't hear. <laughs> I, can't hear. I I have a feeling they will be because they can't hear. Hi. Yeah. Hey, there's Hannah. There's Hannah. Are Are you gonna take over the ranch for your dad? What? <laughs> <laughs> we can't hear anything. Oh, they're sharing a headset. Okay. John, are 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 you gonna take over the farm? <laughs> They're still trying to figure out the technology, but I'm convinced they will. They love yeah, what they do. Johnny's very um, Johnny Johnny's very hands-on with things. He always has been. Um, goes with his dad all the time. He's you know ten years old and learning how to weld. So, um, and and Hannah's good at telling Johnny how he thinks that he should be doing things. So. Oh, perfect. <laughs> It'll work. You out always need the foreman yeah. supervisor. <laughs> yes, that's right. That's right. But and their uh, their ranch is so diverse. They're doing the. The cacti, the saguaro cactus, uh, mesquite business, and then they've got forage crops and the cattle. And I always say, you're in it for the long haul if you're doing cactus, saguaro cactus. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like watching paint dry. It it's optimism. <laughs> <laughs> it's optimism is what yeah. I say. Yeah. How long does it take for a saguaro to, to grow? I mean, I, you hear a lot of rumors, and I know Arizona Highways put out a book that dispelled a lot of them. Like, it takes 75 years before the first arm grows or yep. – a lot of those rumors aren't true. It's 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 a lot due to genetics. It's it's uh, and fertilizers and 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 how how much you water them and so forth and the soil types and all that. It's mainly due or a lot to do with genetics. We're trying to grow them two or three times as fast in a controlled environment, you know, nursery setting as you do as the native ones do. But even the native ones, it depends where they're at, if they're getting water, if they're um, We've seen, you know, in our nursery, we have ones that are six inches tall and ones that are foot tall that are planted at the same time. But in general, it's eight to ten year turnaround for four to six footers that are the most popular to sold to landscape. I would say four to six foot is the most popular size because the transplant rate, the success rate is higher on that size than any size. And the landscapers can handle them without equipment, too, so... So that's that's the most popular size. That's where we're trying to get. <laughs> so, and this is all on your ranch. You've got the saguaro farm. You've got how many uh, head of cattle do y'all run? We we run about eight hundred 
mother cows right now. Over what kind of land or quite a bit of <laughs> land it takes. I mean, how many acres does this? Yeah. Yeah, quite a few thousand acres to. Uh, we've got state leased land, and then we farm about a thousand acres of farmland, and uh, we background um, other people's cattle and uh, our cattle by background i mean we raise up some of like the u of a the v bar v ranch heifers on our ranch and we've got about five different businesses to with the drought and so forth we've had to start other businesses to be able to sustain uh the ranch but we've the last three years we've sort of i i'm hoping of course you talk about optimism i'm <laughs> about as optimistic as they come but uh the last three years we've had better rainfall than we've had for quite a while above average rainfall so we're we we feel that we're on a back on an upward trend as far as rainfall and uh we've been able to increase our numbers start increasing our numbers again which is a long process you know doesn't happen overnight and uh but we've um our our cactus business is hopefully going to be one of our best businesses very fascinating and like you were saying there you've got to have more than one different business you've got to cactus farm you've got a thousand acres that you farm different yeah. crops out of you have the cattle business you, know, you can drive through areas and one that i'm thinking in particular is near portales new mexico you there's all these deserted properties because you couldn't make it on 200 acres anymore you had to expand it there's yeah. just this, this whole agriculture for this absolutely deserted homes that's all ranched by one person farming it because they they couldn't they didn't see the vision to expand and grow beyond you know i can't do it on just this 200 acres i've got to fig figure out a, a new that's, avenue that's one of the big stephanie might correct me but one of the big misconceptions of a lot of people think everything's corporate farm when actually we're just like any business we've had to grow and in actuality i think 85 percent of the farms are still family owned they may be incorporated but they've just had to grow to keep up with economy of scale. Yeah, it's actually not about 97%. Oh, yeah. <laughs> see, I told you she'd correct me. Leave it to the wife to correct, right? 97%. It's a lot anyway. Yeah. Of American agriculture still done by small it's still farms. Small farms. Fam or family owned. Fa not small. Yeah. yeah, that's right. No, not small. Family they're growing, owned. Yeah, family they're having to grow, yeah, and diversify. This Saturday morning here at Rosie on the House, we're joined by Julie Murphy of the Arizona Farm Bureau, who's brought in the new president, Stephanie Smallhouse, who's brought the entire family in. They're on their way from their uh, ranch just outside of Tucson on the way up to Payson. They stopped in here for the broadcast to cut. Uh, they're going to cut down a Christmas tree and go home and get their uh, their Christmas tree decorated this weekend. And before we get to the roles and responsibilities of the president, what does that mean and what role does that job <laughs> what's what's the demand of that? We've got uh, John online at two six zero two two seven seven five eight two seven. Who wants to talk to John Jay about a pine tree he's having troubles with? If you'd like to join the conversation, our eight hundred number. I did not get it forwarded correctly. It's so you got to use the local six zero two two seven seven five eight two seven. John and Mesa, go ahead with your question, sir. Good morning. I bought a, a pine tree about thirty years ago. It's a, a lipo pine tree, Christmas tree. I planted it, and the thing is huge. It's probably 40 feet, 30, 40 feet tall. Well, I've been having problems. I called in a couple months ago. It was starting to turn brown on the bottoms, uh, limbs. 
so I trimmed them off. Uh, we talked about a watering situation, and I readjusted that. And uh, now the bottom limbs are, are dying again. The top is, uh, I wouldn't say it's the greatest, but it's a little bit brown, but it's, it's not like the bottom. And I'm wondering what I should do, if I can get somebody to look at that, or what should I do with the thing? Well, there's been a number of issues, and, and I went back. There's been a lot of publicity about issues with pine trees here in the valley, particularly in the last few years, and it really isn't new. I went back and looked at some of the cooperative extension bulletins from the 70s and 80s, and we called it Aleppo pine blight back then, I think, because we didn't know what it was, <laughs> and I'm not sure we still do, but a lot of it is cult is just environmental. Um, Aleppo pines come from you know, a, a part of the world that get winter moisture, and they seem to prefer and do better on winter moisture um, than they do with summer moisture. And we haven't had a lot of, even though we've had good monsoon rains, our winter moisture has not been great in the last five, six years or 10 years. Yeah. Um, and so that's one of the issues, is, is, is it might be an environmental problem that you really can't do anything about. Um, so what you want to make sure, pines like really good drainage, uh, I would get a lot of gypsum or sulfur, you know, and try and see if we can't make sure that soil is staying opened up, that we're getting good drainage. When you water it, especially this time of year, water it a long, long time. And with a mature tree like that, I'm, I'm talking 10, 12 overnight, 24 hours, a very long, deep, slow soaking, kind of like you would get with a, one of these winter, light, drizzly, long-lasting rains. And then it probably right now could go three weeks to a month before it gets watered again. So try sulfur or gypsum, long, deep, slow soakings, letting it dry out in between. I wouldn't do any more pruning, especially this time of year, and just and kind of see what happens this spring. Are we going to get some rain? These clouds I have been teasing so. us for a week. Yeah. And it was a little chilly this morning, so I don't know if it's finally blowing in some moisture with them. We're about due. We, it, we are due. It is, uh, even it was last week we were at 83 days or something like that without. I think it's the first, oct first October without measurable rain ever or something like that. So wow. it's, it's, uh, it's time. It's been pretty dry. After a pretty wet summer, it's been pretty dry. Stephanie, what made you want to run for the Farm Bureau? Or was it like a lot of those things, uh, you, you were forced into it? <laughs> <laughs> I was voluntold. <laughs> voluntold, <No>. yes. <laughs> Actually, I did start out that way. Andy told me I needed to do it. But uh, no, um, Andy and I have been married for um, about how many years? 18, 18 years. <laughs> and um, when we first got married, um, my background is in wildlife biology. And so I was a wildlife biologist for the Bureau of Land Management. But I have a natural resource background, and when we first got married, um, Andy was first starting to transition, taking over the ranch for his dad, and his dad died suddenly, and so at that point, he had been involved in some um, Farm Bureau activities and things, and being involved in policy, and, and decided, you know, you can't run a ranch and do that at the same time, and so I said, well, I'm not very good at public speaking, but I'll give it a try, <laughs> and so I uh, started volunteering at the local county level, because Farm Bureaus is a very much a grassroots organization. Everything comes up from the county level, then to the state and the national level, and because we're a And is there an active chapter in each of Arizona's 13 counties? Almost. We have, uh, Santa Cruz is the only county that doesn't have an active. They, they um, combine with Pima. Okay. But other than that, every county does. Um, and so um, started volunteering at the county level 
on the San Pedro River, we're in an ecologically um, important area to a lot of people. And so we are under the microscope a lot with what we do with our farm and ranch. And so I've been very involved um, since that time. Now, what takes me to the point I am now is the fact that the passion that I have and and the love that I have for the people in this industry, you know, it starts out for my own family. You know, when you can go out your front door and you can see corrals that were built five generations ago, that's not something you want to see go away. You want to maintain the work of those generations. Well, that's the way a lot of farm families are around Arizona and, and the nation. And so a lot of people think it's corny, but, you know, really where it comes from inside of me is the fact that. I'm passionate about agriculture because I truly see it as a food security issue. I I truly see agriculture as a pillar of the nation's security. And a lot of times, you know, you have your foodies and you have your folks that that are just trying to get by. But at the end of the day, whether, you know, whether you can, whether you can afford the high end ag products or you're just trying to get by, it's still a security issue. We still have to be able to maintain that supply. And the hardworking families that do that are the reason that I do this. And just before I, I mean, correct myself, there's 15 counties in Arizona. I think I said 13. But, so they all have their own Farm Bureau, which is interesting because a lot of these areas you don't really think of as uh, what you would call agricultural environments. Sure. If you've ever driven from Phoenix to L.A., on 10. I try not to. <laughs> <laughs> Me neither. But there's a there's a from from you know, basically Tonopah area to uh, Quartzsite, there's not a lot of desired, uh, I mean, it's just miles of creosotes. Yeah, we have over, um, I think it's over 20 million acres in some kind of food production in Arizona, whether that's uh, rangeland grazing or whether it's um, a commercial crop like in Yuma. But, you know, the southwest part of the state is um, very much so producing vegetables, leafy greens, um, specialty crops, um, and then things like wheat, um, those types of crops. Southeast part of your state is heavy into um, corn and other grains and alfalfa um, cropping areas. And then much more of the state is grazing. Um, and that's the thing that's that's really valuable about animal proteins and about um, beef protein is that you can get that protein off of areas that can't be farmed. And so um, we have a lot of ranching in Arizona. Um, beef is our second highest um, contributor to the ag economy. So, And y'all are responsible for 800 head of that beef. How many head total <laughs> in the state? We, Any guesstimations oh on that? You know, the USDA comes out with those numbers, but I don't have them in my head, and it's pretty sig- significant. It does fluctuate for a number of reasons because if you're, and both Andy and Stephanie will correct me on this, but if you're grazing on public and federal lands, uh, the USDA sometimes has dictates to how much cattle you can gra- graze based on water availability and stuff like that, correct? Yeah, if you're if you're leasing, um, whether if you're leasing property, it's not private property, whether it's from the feds or the state, they dictate what that land, what the capacity grazing capacity is for that land. And so that's, that's what we go by and what most ranchers do. What type of uh, cattle do y'all? Are they Hereford? Are they Angus? What? Or do you have a mix? Mainly. I'm gonna let my husband answer this. Since he's the expert. He does it's, the work. So yeah, it's mainly Angus, Hereford, Cross, uh, uh, wheat. We've got the majority, probably three quarters, uh, Angus and a quarter uh, Hereford crossed in, and uh, we sell uh, um, we sell ours on the Superior Video auction, uh, mainly that goes out satellite on uh, RFD TV and uh, 
and we do a lot of different programs. There's a lot of, uh, it's, it's exciting times for the cattle industry where actually people don't realize either that, you know, they think, oh, you just get out there and move the cattle and do all this stuff. Well, we're talking about GPS chips in there. We put uh, chips in all our cattle that leave our place. They, they can source, source them back to where they came from because of mad cow and all that. We do, ours are certified natural, certified Angus. Uh, they're GAP certified. We do all these certifications that helps us get more money for our cattle. And, uh, and in the future, I think we're starting to now DNA test our cattle. So to know what the feed conversion um, is in those cattle, you know, um, how, and, and the carcass merits, you know, um, the marbling and the ribeye area and all that. So it's, it's actually really exciting times for, um, and it's not just, uh, getting out on a horse. I mean, there's still that <laughs> because you got to round them up. I mean, don't get me wrong, but, uh, a lot of it is, there's a lot of technology involved, believe it or not, in, in, uh, what we're doing. So is it fair for me to say that you can grow, uh, for Whole Foods, you guys can grow for just about any market because of how you are tracking the quality of your beef. Yes, that's correct. Yeah, we're certified to go to um, China or Whole Foods or, um, and you know, pretty much anywhere because of the programs that we've put, uh, certifications we've put on our animals and our beef. And, and so some, some of that's not just tracking. Some of it's also animal welfare. We, we have a certain certification for the way that we treat our animals. That's those are the what that's the beef that goes to Whole Foods. Talk to me about the satellite auction. I'm, I'm very interested. RFD TV. If you're not familiar with it, it's on. Well, what channel is that? Do you know? On Dish, it's like one thirty two or two thirty two. I think. I think it is. I yeah two thirty two two thirty one. There's so two channels there. I can turn it on. Watch the auction. Can I, as a homeowner consumer? bid on these yeah 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 you would sign up as a bidder and you can get on the internet too and bid on them on the internet They're if you want to buy fifty thousand pounds <laughs> yeah you have to buy <laughs> how so big is your my, freezer but, <laughs> yeah yeah that, it's by the truckload so that's the thing <laughs> yeah that's the key it's yeah. by the your they're, neighbor they're your being... neighbors might not be real happy you may not be zoned truck showed up with you may not be zoned for that and our arizona beef is so good that you would want to buy it by the truckload but you have to be reasonable so that's why we can get some really good quality beef in our I local was, grocery stores. I was fishing for a source. We have two beef cows that we raise right now. One's just about ready for harvest, and the other one, you know, we try and time it so we never are out of our own beef. And we're always looking for good locations to, you know, find. And we've tried a few different types of breeds and have fun with it. So we'll, we'll sell you in industry. any form you want. <laughs> <laughs> so this is. This is after market. This is ready. This is packaged meat on the auction, or is this the live animal? This is the live animal. Okay. We don't sell packaged meat. We've tried to do that for years, and it's just uh, it. It's a lot of labor and a lot of uh, upfront cost to to build a market direct to the public, and uh, you know it's it it's it's a complicated thing which we you hey know, the, the butcher at bashes needs a job too right yeah, yeah. <laughs> well and yeah. what a lot of people don't realize is if, so if you go to a high-end restaurant and they say oh we've sourced this beef locally from this ranch well logistically for the ranch it's difficult unless you're in a co-op situation with a lot of ranchers because those high-end restaurants just want high-end cuts so then what do you do with all of the hamburger what do you do with all the roasts what do you do with all the offals and so that's why some ranchers choose and most ranchers choose to sh- to sell their beef commercially by the truckload to 
you know, obviously other businesses that can handle that because it's logistically, it's very difficult to find a market for every part of that animal when you're doing it animal by animal. And if we're getting hungry for beef, just remember you can actually source directly on fillyourplate.org. But 53% of our beef sold in the meat case in any local grocery store here in Arizona is coming from farmers and ranch- ranchers like the small houses. Time flies. It does. Can you believe we're almost done with the hour? <laughs> no. We've had a full house this morning in our outdoor living hour. Jay Harper of the Farm's Choice. What? We talked about uh, Christmas tree. What do you think about that? All the 7-ups and the um, things you can buy to add to the water and the preserved. I mean, you're still only keeping it three or four weeks, right? Typically, what that causes people to do is to make sure that they're keeping water in the in the basin of their uh, of their tree stand, you know. So if you had, if you want to add Seven Up or aspirin or you know all the <laughs> concoctions, Caro syrup, I've heard them kind of all. You know that's fine. Uh, it it can't hurt. Um, the main thing is once you place that tree in that stand and you have a bowl of water there, never let it get empty. It needs to stay full of water all the time. And those trees, especially early on, will suck up a lot of water. You'd be surprised. Now as they after they've been in there a while, it will slow down, and eventually they'll quit. Um, but at the beginning, it's especially important. Uh, make sure the water's not hot. I've had people do that. That doesn't work. Very, they, don't, they don't like that very well. Um, so it usually it doesn't be... come out of the sky hot where pine trees grow. <laughs> no. Well, it, <laughs> might, in, it might in Phoenix. But, uh, <laughs> uh, so you, room, good room temperature water you know, is, is fine. Just keep it, keep it full. Make a fresh cut. So if you're cutting your own tree today or tomorrow, you don't need to worry about that. But when you get it home from the tree lot, sometimes they will cut it for you. If they don't, you should make another fresh cut. Some people will throw the tree in the pool for a day or two. If it's, you know, don't leave it in there for too long because the chlorine will suck the color out of it after a while. But for a day or two or overnight, that's fine. And the Uh, people that have done that swear that it makes it last so much longer. And not even necessarily that they're trying to keep it longer. But it reduces the the burn factor, the risk factor of, of having this dry, dead torch. Well, that you're anything you can do to keep it hydrated, <laughs> keep it wet, keep it cool. Make sure you know. Some people buy a tree and it's several days before they get it put up in the house. They leave it out in the sun. You know, at least put it in the shade, uh, I, cover it. Something. I can say there's there's nothing less festive than decorating a tree and then having to undecorate it, take a dead tree out of your house and redecorate it before Christmas. <laughs> Sounds like <laughs> sort of you've done the, that. I have. It sort of takes the fun out of it. Yeah, no kidding. Now, Stephanie Smallhouse, our new Arizona Farm Bureau president, what message do you want to leave with homeowners? Obviously, a lot of us would want to support our local economy and our local agriculture and the family-owned farms and ranches throughout the state. But um, – but don't know where to go or what to do or how to even find those. 
Well, the great thing about um, that I believe, of course, I'm biased. The great thing about Arizona Farm Bureau is that we have a lot of tools available to people, whether you're in farming or not. Like Julie mentioned, fill your plate. There's a lot of resources on our website that you can go to. Um, Facebook, friend us, um, friends of Arizona Farm Bureau, I think it is, um, and go on there. But the thing is, is that we welcome supporting members. We call them associate members, and we would welcome anyone to be a member of Arizona Farm Bureau. The thing about farming and ranching is there's so many components of it and things that are of interest to people that they don't even realize. So if you're concerned about the rural economy, you should be a Farm Bureau member. If you're concerned about local food vitality, you should be a Farm Bureau member. If you're concerned about um, the environment and open spaces and maintaining that area for, for wildlife, then you should be a Farm Bureau member because there are all of these things that we address within our organization that have to do with farming and ranching. Um, we're businesses, we're small businesses. Um, if you're concerned about um, small business taxes, things like that, those are things that we address on a daily basis. And so, you know, like I said, we welcome anybody to be a member. You can go to our website and sign up. We're also affiliated, of course, with a very good insurance company. A lot of people think we're just insurance, but we're actually the federation and the insurance company. And we have a very, um, very good insurance company, and so we welcome people in that way, too. Associate memberships are only $59, and that's for the entire year. And it also locks you into a myriad of member benefits, discounts on everything. And even um, and if you sign up online, it's azfb.org. But if, if you become a member and you go to fill your plate and you want to buy directly, some of our member rancher farmers that sell directly will give you 10% discounts all the time. So there's a lot of benefits to being a member, including those discounted prices. And, and we also like to be a very important source for information for people. Even if you're not a member, if you want to know something about how food is grown, where it is grown, um, even nutrition of certain foods, please come to us. Because, you know, if, if I want to know something about my health, I'm going to ask my doctor. I'm not going to go to a blog. So um, if, if you have some concerns about, about what food you're eating or what food you're not eating or the nutrition um, of certain foods or how it's grown or how much water we use, any of those things, um, we're going to be straight up with you and we're going to tell you what's going on in the farm and ranch um, environment. AZFB.org. You can also go to fillyourplate.org. And if you're looking for a specific farm or ranch product, beans, meats, melons, lettuce, you just type it in and you've got great resources there on where the consumer can go find those items locally, whether it's a local farmer's market or a farm that sells direct to homeowners. And Julie will be joining us next, uh, the first Saturday of the month, January, we're talking citrus. And we've got another guest in studio, if you're just joining us in the 8 o'clock hour. We've got John Bordozic, the co-founder of Homezada. And I know you're kind of an entrepreneur mind. Is there a Homezada application for tracking cattle? Uh, I'm sure there is. <laughs> don't come to us for that. <laughs> but what you can do is you can order the Rosie on the House home maintenance calendar. You can sign up for the Homezada premium app. And next Saturday, um, the first Saturday in January, when we're talking citrus, you can listen to the Rosie on the House program and on your Homes app, enter all your citrus maintenance, when to fertilize, when to prune, your adjust your watering schedules, and you'll get automatic reminders to manage your citrus. So when we come to harvest this time next year, you've got a beautiful citrus grove. Absolutely. It's all about uh, creating your recurring task once, and then you forget, forget about them because it's just going to remind you. <laughs>